It is great to see you all. Um, my name is Mbonisi. I'm one of the pastors here at One Tribe alongside um, uh, a team of great, great, great people. And if you've got your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 1. And uh, while we're turning there, um, welcome to 2024. And if you are new here, I want to add my welcome to the welcome that you've already received. It really is so good to see you. And um, we are going to be just thinking about the new year in, um, over the next few minutes. And um, Psalm 1 is superbly helpful in that. I'm going to read that. And um, what happened is, uh, okay, uh, if you're a visitor, a bit of an inside, um, inside angle of what goes on. Um, a lot of one tribers were up late dancing and partying later than they should have been last night. It was a good reason. It was for a wedding, and we were celebrating a couple in the church getting married, and uh, we all had lots and lots of fun. Um, but as a result, I think that some of you who would normally come to the 9 o'clock meeting said, I'm going to do the 11 o'clock, um, which is a little bit naughty, but better than not coming at all. So welcome. <laughs> is that you guys? You're still here. Confess your sins to one another, the scriptures say, so that you may be healed. And, um, and so, but as a result, those who were at the 9 o'clock Needed a, bit of a, needed a bit of waking up, um, less so at 11 o'clock, I hope. But uh, I, I, I self-disclosed um, in a moment of vulnerability on the stage. And, and I said, you know, some people, they, they grow up singing in the shower. And uh, I, I, I grew up preaching to myself in the shower when no one else was willing to listen. I just preached to myself. And as I preached, and often as I'm preparing messages, there is actually a congregation in my mind. And just for you to know, I say this with all vulnerability, this congregation in my mind is never silent. They are, um, how many of you have, have watched The Potter's House ever on, on TV? A few of you have. Well, if you've ever been watching a movie and you've seen an African-American congregation in action, they are never silent. Amen? Amen. And so... Um, for a bit of fun, and it helped um, wake a few people up in the first meeting. Uh, as I read through Psalms 1, I need your help. And I need you to be just like you would imagine an African-American southern congregation to be like. Can you do that? Yes. All right. And if you're doing well, then I get into it as well, and then it, it becomes quite cool. All right, Psalm chapter 1. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of Marcus. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates day and night on his law. That person Turn to your neighbor and say, not this person. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Great. Oh, I'm going to, brother.
carries on, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. The start of the year, lots going on, parties and celebrations and rests and back to work and resolutions. When I think about resolutions, a lot of things come to mind and uh, some memes uh, we got together just kind of made me smile as, we, as I reflect and as we begin to reflect on the new year. Four memes, the first one's this one, this is uh, the cat's calling God to make sure I'm not signed up for the trials and tribulations package again in 2024. Anyone want trials and tribulation in 2024? Me neither. This next one is that moment that you realize that you've had the same New Year's resolutions for the past seven years. What does that look like? This is my favorite. It's from a few years back. This one works when you understand that the first year is in, the, in, a, in a black, I think it is. Next slide, please, please my skip. And then the next year, they're so similar, he just does, he, that, that's the bit in red. And then 2013 is purple, then 2014 is the green. So it kind of starts off, lose weight, more weight, and then lose more weight again. And then it's get fit, and then a few years later, next year, give up alcohol and cigarettes, then no, just drink less. That's attainable. I love number four, stand up to boss. And then a couple of years later, just find a new job now. Try to be nicer to my wife, who then becomes ex-wife. That's sad. Uh, then sort out junk in the shed and then in life, actually. Buy bigger pants. Buy pants. Well, this morning, I'd like you to invite you into a New Year's meditation on this first psalm. And in that psalm, we're going to be talking about five things, as God helps us and if time permits. The first thing we're going to talk about is what do you and I really want in 2024? The second thing that we're going to draw out from the Scripture, because that's what it tells us, is how not to get what it is that we really want. And then the third thing is we're going to look at how do we get what we want. Number four, how do we know that we've got what we want? And number five is who gets it for us. So we're going to start with number one. What do you and I want in 2024? as we make strategic plans for the year, as we have Vision Sundays, as we do New Year's resolutions, as we work on ourselves or work on this and work on that, what is it that we ultimately want? Well, that's probably encapsulated quite well, if we're honest, in the word happy. That's why at the first second of the first day of the first month, the first word out of our mouths generally is Happy New Year. No one disagrees with that. No one hears that and thinks, no, not for me. No, thank you. I don't want to be happy in the new year. Fundamentally, as human beings, we're made with a desire to be happy. Well, here's the good news. Your desire to be happy is just a shadow of your creator, God's desire for you to be happy. Psalm 1 starts with the word. Oh, I need a little bit more than that this morning. It starts with the word. And blessed could be translated happy. Happy is the one who doesn't do X, Y, and Z. 
That's good news because that means that when you and I want to be happy, it's not like God is up in heaven thinking happiness. And I don't want you to be happy. He starts the first psalm of the book of Psalms saying, I want you to be blessed. I want you to be happy in the year ahead. It's a God-given desire. And in fact, God wants your happiness more than you want your happiness. And that's why in this psalm, he begins to unpack what that looks like. And I love this quote from a guy in 1660 by the name of John Trapp. Talking about this psalm, he says, The psalmist said more about true happiness in this short psalm than all the philosophers. In this psalm, he promises, there is more wisdom about happiness than all your life coaches, than all your gurus, than all your influencers, than all the people you follow on X, more wisdom in this psalm than in all the philosophers. He says they only beat the bush. But here, in this psalm, God puts the bird in our hand. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that as we gather around your word, as we meditate on this psalm, I pray that your voice will be louder than every other voice that competes for our attention. God, I pray that as we meditate on this psalm, you would put the bird of happiness, the bird of a life that attracts and experiences your blessing. I pray that you'd put that bird in our hand. And if you agree with that this morning, would you say, Amen. Amen. What do you want? Well, we want happiness. Point number one. Number two, how do you not get happiness? Well, that's what the psalmist says. He says, God wants you to be blessed. He says, blessed is a man. But if you want to be blessed, a man or woman, then there are things that you actually start by not doing. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or in step with the wicked. The NIV 2011 says, or who stands in the way that sinners take. Or who sits in the company of mockers. And those mockers are ultimately mockers of God. The Bible says that God wants you and I to be happy, but there is a way to not get happy happiness. How do you not get happiness? It's by, you don't get happiness by standing in the way of sinners or walking in the, or sitting in the seat of mockers or, or walking in the way of the ungodly. Why is that? Well, listen. There are people, the Bible says, on two different paths. If you can hear the sound of my voice this morning, your life is on one of two paths. And in fact, each area of your life is on one of two paths. The first path is the one that God wants for you. That's the first word of the psalm. God wants you to walk and experience a blessed life. But the second path is encapsulated in the last word of the psalm, which is destruction. As you listen to this today, your whole life or areas of your life may be headed towards destruction. Now, here's the deal. Whichever path you are on, chances are you want the same thing. You want happiness. 
But how you pursue that happiness determines which path that you are on. Because the thing that the wicked and the sinners and the mockers in that verse have in common, the reason they are on the wrong path is because they are pursuing happiness directly. In the words of Tim Keller, happiness in our lives, God wants it for us, but happiness is a byproduct. It's not the prize, it's not the goal, it's not the end game. And so often, our resolutions and our plans and our thinking and our scheming is to get us on the shortest route to happiness on this earth. And Tim Keller says, happiness isn't designed to be the product, it's designed to be a byproduct. It was perhaps put more eloquently by C.S. Lewis. I think this one's worth the price of admission. He said this, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. And this rings true in our lives. It's most eloquently put by Jesus who said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things will be added to you. Aim for his kingdom and righteousness. You get that and all these things. Aim for these things and you get neither. And friends, don't we experience this in our lives? We enter a year saying Jesus is my prize, Jesus is my aim, Jesus is my goal. And as we do that, all these other things come. God provides for us. You've been praying for this and prayer is answered and, 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 and you've, you've wanted this and needed that and God brings it. It's a byproduct. But woe to the man or woman who says, I'm going into 2024 and the sole aim of 2024, mission number one, is to get hooked up. That is what I want to do. Well, if you aim for that, you get neither. Woe to the person who says, as I get into 2024, top of my list is I want to be successful financially. You aim for that, you get neither. Aim for heaven, you get earth thrown in. God wants that for you. But aim for earth, and you'll get neither. What does that look like? Well, the psalmist gets quite graphic. He says that, you know, you can contrast, on the one hand, the person who, 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 who is pursuing blessing in God's way, well, he's like a tree planted by streams of water. That speaks of strength and permanence. But not so the wicked. They're not like a tree planted by streams of water. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Now you look like city boys and city girls to me, so we're going to have to explain what chaff is. The way chaff works is when you are, you start off with wheat and then you, you have a kernel of grain, that's what you're going for, that's the good stuff. 
And so in that day, in that culture, what you would do is you would take all the wheat, the, the grain and the, the straw and the husk around the grain, you take all of that up to the top of the hill and, and you would grind it. And after grinding it, the, the kernel of grain would be separated from the husk and from the straw. And then what you do is on top of the hill on a windy day, you get a winnowing fork and you, you put it in the wheat and you throw it up in the air. And as you throw it up in the air, the wind carries away the husks and the straw. It carries those away because they're light. And what's left behind is the kernel, is the grain, is the good stuff. And so chaff in the Bible is this picture of what is light and insubstantial and worthless. And the psalmist says, friends, these are the things that we pursue when we're not pursuing heaven first, is they are light and insubstantial and ephemeral and worthless. And we become all of those things as we pursue them. How do you not get what you want, which is happiness in 2024? You don't get it by pursuing it directly. How do you get it? Psalm 1 verse 2 says, The one who gets it, the one who's blessed, is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Now, here's where we're going to park for a little bit. If we want true happiness, the way to that happiness isn't by pursuing it directly. My goal is to be happy in 2024. But the psalmist says it's by delighting in the law of the Lord and on this law meditating day and night. What do we mean by the law of the Lord? When we hear law, sometimes we think, well, that's talking about the Old Testament. It's talking about the rules. Weren't there Ten Commandments, things that we're supposed to do and not do? I don't think it refers just to that. I think it refers to all of Scripture that was available at that time, some of which was laws and rules, but a lot of it wasn't. But Keller's so helpful when he says that the reason that the psalmist talks about uh, delighting in the law of the Lord is because we only delight in God's Word when we come to God's word as authoritative as a law in our lives. What does that mean? It means you can't wrestle with the truths in this book. They can't have a transforming power unless we come to this book as authoritative, the law of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, I might wake up this morning feeling worthless and useless. Never happens to any of you, I know. When that happens, you come to God's Word. In Psalm 139, open it up, it says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Here's the deal. If that's just a suggestion that doesn't have transformative power in my life, I can't wrestle with a suggestion. But when I've pre-decided that this Word is authoritative, then when I come to it and I say my experience, the way people are treating me, the way I feel is I feel worthless and useless, then the Scripture says to me, no, 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 you are made in the image of the Creator God. 
You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. Or my favorite, 1 Peter chapter 2, says that you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, God's special possession. Then when I accept that as authoritative in my life, then I have to wrestle. Well, this is authoritative, but I feel this way. I've got to wrestle with that. This is authoritative, but my experience says this. I've got to wrestle with that. And then, team, then, when that happens, then the law of the Lord can become delightful to you and me. How do you know that you've got it? This is not even the point I'm supposed to be getting to, but I'm so excited, friends. Then this becomes life-transforming truth. Good golly, we would be a dancing generation. We would be a shouting generation. Spurgeon said, you know what, if I believe some of the doctrines these other people believe, I might whisper when I preach. But if I believe the great doctrines of God's grace, I can't help but shout, forgive me if I shout. Friends, when is the last time that you danced because of a revelation of the truth of God in your life? Can we get there? Could we become this people in 2024? Last night, we we had such fun at the wedding. I saw great things at the wedding. Friends, I saw white people dancing. Now, you don't believe me, but I I wouldn't believe me if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes. I, I saw it. And I was amazed. Why was I amazed? Because... Because in church when we say let's dance, the white people say we don't do that. Have you heard them say that? It's not true, says Damaris. Friends, that means that we don't delight in the law of the Lord. Spurgeon said, do you delight in the law of the Lord day and night? If you don't, then the promises of the storm are not for you. And you don't know what it means to meditate on his law day and night. Oh, we had such fun dancing for hours. We were celebrating life. We were celebrating God's goodness and bringing this couple together. But friends, if if that's the only thing that will make us dance on this earth, then I fear that we're pursuing earthly things. And we're called to pursue heavenly things and then get those things thrown in. That's what it looks like to delight. And Timor so helpfully a few months ago spoke to us about what it means when, we, when, we, when we're impacted by the presence of God. Our bodies cannot be unaffected. You didn't get that from your Bible. We're a dancing generation. Now listen, team. If you come back next week and you don't dance, I don't care. God loves you. God's grace is upon you. God's favor is upon you. It's not about making you dance. It's about helping you to realize that if there's nothing in you that wants to dance, then maybe you're missing something. During the World Cup rugby, uh, Joe's a Springbok supporter. <laughs> Thank you, Mix. And... Uh, Nyla was newly married to Joe, and she would send us videos of Joe watching the rugby match. 
And listen, how, how many of you like, like sports? How many of you are easily able to sit still while your favorite team is playing? It's very, it's very difficult. Rose, put your hand down. I, <laughs> means there's something wrong with your team or something. I don't know. Is it Chelsea? Is it Chelsea? Okay. I want to stay in the spirit. I'm not going to indulge. I'm not going to involve myself in this conversation. But when you watch Joe and the videos that Nyla sends through, Joe is not sitting still. Why? Because he's, in a, he's watching a game and the game matters. God delivers from being a people who can watch the game of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are not moved to tears. We're not moved to falling to our knees. We're not moved to raising our hands. We're not moved to being a dancing generation. Do you delight in the law of the Lord? He meditates on a day and night. God deliver us from being a people who have a verse a day to keep the devil away. It's time to read my Bible. John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Everybody's in our prayers, but have eternal life in heaven. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now let me get on with the rest of my day. No, 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 no. That is not what the psalm is talking about. It says he meditates on a day. And night. To meditate means to turn it over in your mind, to plot, to scheme. Some people talk about like 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 a, a cow ruminating or chewing on the cud. He meditates on God's law. How do we meditate? Well, again. Tim Keller is very helpful here. He talks about we can bring questions to Scripture after reading Scripture that helps us turn it over in our minds. What are some of these questions? Well, he gives two. I'll try throwing a couple more. He talks about as you read Scripture, God's love the world. He gave us only something. Whoever believes in the Son have perished, but have eternal life in heaven. Taking that as an example, why is God? Showing me this scripture today. That's a way of just reflecting, meditating on how is this supposed to be affecting my life today, not yesterday, because I'm, I'm a unique person in unique circumstances, in a unique time in my life and in history. Why is God bringing the scripture to my attention today? For God so loved the world. And he may bring to someone, find someone who you've been unloving to, or someone who uh, you, 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 you should share this love with. And then a second question is, what would it look like if my soul was ablaze, if my life was ablaze with this truth? If I really believed with all my heart that God so loved the world that he gave his son, what would my life look like? And Keller talks about meditation as being, it's not quite Bible reading, it's not quite prayer, but it, 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 it almost links Bible reading into prayer as we meditate on Scripture. We can do this with God's help, guys. We, we, we can do this. 
because God wants this for you. His spirit is available to us. I'm going to take a few minutes now to just talk about some very practical things because I don't want this to be just kind of motivational or challenging, but I want it to be very practical and helpful for you. And in this, we can get wisdom from outside of the Bible. And the Bible talks about that wisdom under the heading of common grace. It means that even as Christians, we can learn a lot of things from non-Christians. If you're a non-Christian here or not your follower of Jesus, I would love to learn stuff from you. We can learn from the world around us. That's the way the church is supposed to be, designed to be. And we can get common grace to help us learn about things like neuroscience and how habits are formed. And recently, a very popular book came out called Atomic Habits. And um, he's got four principles in there. And I've taken those principles. haven't read the book. Just listened to an interview uh, he did with a guy called Craig Rochelle. But taking the principles from that book and applying them specifically to meditating on the law of the Lord, delighting in his word day and night. I want to take those, that wisdom and apply it to this practice. But you can apply it to any habit that you're looking to make or to break this year. And so as we talk about what does it look like to become this kind of man, this kind of woman, the first thing we've got to do, team, is get a plan. Get a Bible reading plan. If we stop you over Chai and Mandazi and we say, what is your Bible reading plan this year? You should not go blank. Now you guys are scared. You think I'm not going to hang around for Chai and Mandazi now in case someone asks me. Here's, here's, here's a good answer. I'll give you an easy, a good answer. Say, I'm going to be using the McShane Bible reading plan and look confident and everyone will be happy, I promise you. The McShane Bible plan, it's, 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 it's a good one. There's another one called The Navigators. John Piper likes that one. Um, what's your plan for getting into God's Word regularly? It might be reading the Bible in a year. It might be reading the New Testament in a year. The Bible's too much. Or the Old Testament might be saying, I just want to get through one book of the Bible. I've never done that before. It's not about becoming the spiritual guru and giant overnight. It's about getting things moving in the right direction. You see Cephas stand up, and there's this authority as he speaks, as he talks, as he brings us a sermon on the mount. You can look at him and say, man, that, that there is a spiritual big shot. <laughs> Everyone was, was, was with me, Michelle, until his wife laughs the loudest. It's a revelation. But here's the deal. Big shots are just little shots who kept on shooting. And so you don't need to say, oh, I'm going to read through the Bible twice in the coming year. And we're gonna... no. My thing is, man, I'm just a little shot, but I'm going to keep on shooting. And December 31st, you're still going to find me shooting. And 2025, you're still going to find me shooting. Does that make sense? Spurgeon put it so well when he said that by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. <laughs> Rigby Wallace led a church in uh, Cape Town. And he often says of that church, wonderful church, but he says, you know, we're just anointed plodders. Not into the fancy high jump, long jump, triple jump, pole vault. He says, no, no, we're just anointed plodders, one foot in front of another. Get a plan, get any plan, 
any plan, even a bad plan is better than no plan. I remember one of my mentors in the hospital world said to me, we had a challenging case, so I was talking to a guy, and he was saying, this is what we've got to do, this is the implant we've got to use, this is how we've got to... Uh, and so we had a really good plan, and then at the end of all of our planning, he's just reminded me, he said, oh yeah, but don't forget, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. Well, that's so, so helpful, because then you can make your plan. But guess what? It can all go wrong on day one. But you anticipate that. Number one, get a plan. Number two, make it a habit. And this is what, uh, where James Clear is so helpful and applying this. Now, what is a habit? Um, it's, it's, it's a behavior that we repeat often enough until it becomes subconscious. How do you make something a habit? And afterwards, as you have time, you can take these principles and invert them to figure out how do you break a habit. And James Clear says four things. Number one is make it obvious. He calls that the cue. I want to read my Bible every day. Make it, make it obvious. Put cues around me. That'll remind me to read my Bible, okay? When you wake up in the morning, if this is the first thing that you see, do the chances of you reading your Bible daily go up or down? Up. Okay. If you wake up in the morning, in fact, the thing that wakes you up is an evil electronic device that is vying for your attention. As you reach for it, just to turn it off, you see that you've got 15 WhatsApp messages. You've got two emails. Game over. Do you understand? So there are ways of making it obvious. If you want to make a habit, if you want to break a habit, then you make it invisible. A chocolate bar every time you open the fridge. Bad news if you're dieting. Bad news if you're fasting. Did I tell you what happens the moment you decide to fast? Was that in this meeting or the last meeting? Haven't told you yet? Okay. If you're new to fasting, you need to know this. The moment you make a decision to fast, you will immediately be inundated by invitations to breakfast, lunch, and supper with other people paying. Okay? You can anticipate it. I'm just warning you in advance. And by the way, as we talk about fasting as a church, we're not talking about everyone not eating for 21 days. The Daniel fast itself is a partial fast. And depending on your fasting experience, you might want to do something very similar to Daniel. You might want to scale it down, or you might want to scale it up. It's up to you. Just throwing it out there. Number one is make it obvious. How can you make it obvious? One, James Clear says one thing is to say, make, write down a statement. I will, I will behavior at time in place. Okay? So, for example, I will read my Bible at 7 o'clock every day in the kitchen or my bed or whatever it is. I'm not a runner at all. But as I look back on my life the last few years, I realized, you know what? It's actually become a habit. It's something that I, it's just a part of my life. And part of that is because it's, it's, it's positioned obviously in my life. I will go for a run at 5.30 p.m. every two or three days in Karura Forest. And that's it's just part of my routine. 
And as we make things obvious like that, it's easy to build them into our lives. It doesn't mean you become Eliud Kipchoge overnight, but it does keep you in the game. The second thing you can do is make it attractive. If you want to start a habit, Bible reading, make it attractive somehow. If you want to start journaling, get yourself a nice journal that you'll enjoy writing in. But you compare an action that you want to do with an action that you need to do or that you enjoy doing. How many of you enjoy coffee? Well, you can say, I'm going to read my Bible with my coffee each morning. No Bible, no coffee. And you pair them together, what's your Bible reading? Go up. You can join a culture where your desired behavior is the normal behavior. And so um, a few years ago, I um, thought, I need to get back in shape. And so we got a, an app on our phone. And uh, Tash and I started together. It was called Couch to 5K. And the first day, it was embarrassingly easy. It's supposed to get you running 5K, but you literally walk 2K. Embarrassing. But that's how you start, and that's how you get into the habit. And then you build from there. And a couple of years ago, I ran my first half marathon. And uh, how did it come about? Well, uh, we were on sabbatical. I was in London, and we were attending a church where running the half, a half marathon was just what you do once a year. So the church, one Sunday a year, was in a place called Ealing. There was the Ealing Half Marathon. They would, they would cancel church. There was no church. Everyone's going to the Ealing Half Marathon. That was partly because of public transport and things like that. But the whole church was there. The pastor ran it in a Batman suit in about half the time it took me. But the vibe in the church was, we do half marathons. And if you hang around people like that, guess what you start doing? If you want to read the Bible, what do you got to do? Hang around people where that's the norm. And it might mean joining a life group this year. Or saying to friends, hey, listen, let, let's do this together. Number three is um, response. Let's make it easy. Decrease the number of steps towards uh, the certain activity. So if you read your Bible on your phone, a trick you can do is have the Bible reading app or your quiet time app, whatever it is, on the home screen. Okay? And then you push the social media, the stuff that you don't want, you push that onto the back screen. So to get to WhatsApp, to see what Bruno's status is, you have to go through four, four home screens. To get to your Bible, it's just one. You make it easy. When you wake up in the morning, the Bible's right there. You make it easy. And then uh, the last one, the reward, is make it satisfying. Can everyone go, <sighs> that's the feeling of satisfaction. And you get that from different things. One is just from knowing that you have stuck to your habit another day. Duolingo are the kings of this. They've got this way of rewarding you called, um, it's, called it's called a streak. And uh, man, I'm, I'm in midlife now, but I still live for that streak. When I've done Duolingo for a day, and then this burning thing comes and says, you now on day X plus one, I'm like, yes. That's the way we're designed. 
a habit tracker is what it's called. And so you can have a, whatever habit you want to have, you can just make your own piece of paper and just tick off the days that you've done it. I've read my Bible. I've not kicked the cat for another day. I'm, I'm doing this. And then at the end of the you can award yourself something. It can be something you like, like a chocolate or a treat. Or you can just award yourself five gold stars. Well done. Track the habit, reward yourself, make it satisfying. So get a plan, make it a habit, and then meditate. We've spoken a bit about meditating and the questions. All right. God's people, are you still with me? Okay, two more, then we're going to be done. They're much briefer than these others. How do you know that you've got it? You've spoken about this dancing generation, shouting generation, singing generation. But version sent out this, um, this, uh, these stats that I found very helpful. They basically spoke about how when you aim for Bible reading, you get all these other things thrown in. Research shows that destructive habits decrease and positive habits increase when people are in God's Word at least four days a week. Like what? Someone who reads the Bible four times or more a week is 59% less likely to view pornography. Okay? Isn't that interesting? You're struggling with viewing pornography. What do you do? Stop it and hate it and feel guilty. Well, you may get mixed results. But sometimes as you aim for heaven, as you get yourself into God's Word and experience that transforming power, these other things fall away. You get earth thrown in. 74% less likely to gamble. 407% more likely to memorize scripture. 228% more likely to share their faith with others. 231% more likely to disciple others. These same people are 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. Psalm 1 verse 3 says, That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Friends, this is God's will for you. I don't know whether you're going to get a Mercedes. I don't know whether your pre-gross profit turnover is going to double this year. I don't know whether, but I do know this, that with God's help, you can become someone who's like a tree planted by streams of living water that yields its fruit in season. I want you to picture this, planted. That means rooted. That means firm. The exact opposite of chaff. Spurgeon describes it this way, being planted by the streams of God. Not one river, but planted by streams of God. Spurgeon says that even if one river should fail, God has another. The rivers of pardon, the rivers of grace, the rivers of promise, and the rivers of fellowship with Christ are never failing sources of supply. Friends, we have this available to us. We'll know that we've got this when we bear fruit in season. If you're not a part of a local church, I want to, I want to encourage you to be a part of a local church. And just one of the benefits, just one of, even as we're worshiping, when I, when I stand and I look around the room and I see people worshiping God, very often I'm aware as they're worshiping God of what a difficult season they're going through at that moment in time because we're a family. And I see people leading from the front, 
worshiping God, and I think, man, if everyone knew what they were going through, but still they choose to worship. What am I getting at? Some people think that a blessed life means that you don't go through seasons. If that's what you think a blessed life is, you will be disappointed. A blessed life means that as you go through different seasons, you bear the fruit appropriate to that season. And if that is a season of suffering, if you're planted by streams of living water, you can bear fruit in that season of patience and faith and perseverance. And in seasons of abundance, you can bear the fruit of joy but humility as well because you've been through other seasons. So the psalmist is not overly optimistic about your 2024. He's saying 2024 will have seasons, but as you go through those seasons, you can bear fruit whatever season that you find yourself in. And the last thing, and as I share this, Becca team, do you guys want to come up and uh, get ready to sing over us, please? Would you give them a hand as they come up? They've done really, really well. Smitha is uh, playing keyboard for her first Sunday at One Tribe. And you know that's okay. And this is what moves a church forward is people stepping up and saying, hey, listen, I'd love to serve. These are my gifts. Maybe I've never served before. But um, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. You served us well today, so thank you so much. Who gets it for you? And I guess here, this is the difference between the pep talks and the rah-rah that you'll hear everywhere except in the Church of Christ and what we're talking about today. What is the key, what is the secret to being happy, to being blessed in 2024? And if what you heard is, great, I've got to read my Bible, then I'll be blessed. You're kind of hearing what I'm saying, but not exactly. Because the whole message of Scripture is that actually there's only one person who ever fully deserved a blessed life. There's only one person who could stand up and say, I have never walked in the counsel of the ungodly or stood in the way of sinners or sat in the seat of Marcus. And his name is Jesus. And the Bible says, even though he's the only one who ever did that correctly, he died a criminal's death on a cross he was lifted up. He became like chaff that the wind blew away. He stood under the judgment of God. He was thrown out of the assembly of the righteous. And in that way, you could say that he experienced the destruction that the psalm talks about. But here's the good news. He did that for you so that in Him, you can be blessed. 
Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He seated us in heavenly places. He's taught us to walk not in the way of sinners or the counsel of the ungodly, but to walk lives that are full of love because he has shown us what love is by loving us and awakening a reciprocal love in our hearts. And he's taught us to stand. Ephesians 6 talks about standing by being strong in the Lord, by being strong in Jesus. And so friends, this morning isn't primarily about a book. It's about a person. And the point of the book is to bring you to the person because he has one blessings for us, every spiritual blessing. And we live in those as we live in him by living in his word. I'd love us to stand together. And I'd love us to not go out and do something. I'd love us to receive something this morning. That's the thing, that's the spirit of January, if you like, is come on, we're going to go take the world. I'm going to go and be different. I'm going to go and be a better person. But here's the secret of Christianity. I want to let you in. Christianity doesn't start with what we do. Christianity starts by understanding and receiving what he has done for us. And so for the next couple of minutes, I want you to be absolutely passive by receiving a blessing that the band is going to sing over you. And after the first verse or so, they'll say, hey, let's all join in and you can sing together. We'll sing over one another. It's going to be powerful. But I want you to start at the outset of this year by receiving God's blessing over you. By receiving his heart for you. By receiving his happiness. Let's just open your hearts. If you like, you can open your hands as an outward sign of what's inside. If you're comfortable doing that. But let's receive the blessing of our good Father who's blessed us in Christ. Band. Please sing over us.
Angazie uso wake na kukufadili akuinulie uso wake na kupea mali
Yeah.